Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. All right. Well, welcome to the Happy at Work podcast. So we're so happy to have you today, Sally Sims. You're the VP of Product at The Muse. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. That's awesome. No, we're so glad to have you. Thanks for thanks for joining us. So we love to start the conversation out with just understanding kind of where people are coming from. And so will you tell us a little bit about your career journey? And I know there's some interesting things. I just can see them in the background with your antiques dealer dealership or dealing that you do. But tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, I'm going to go back and start at the beginning a little bit because I had sort of a pivotal moment earlier in my career that has set me down the path that led me to where I am now at the Muse. I started out my career in tech as a product marketer at Google. And in the course of being there for a few years working on that, I realized I wanted to move toward product. That was the kind of function that I was interested inside the company. And it was tough to make that transition inside Google because there are certain background credentials and characteristics that are commonly expected for a product manager. And I didn't have those. I wasn't a former engineer. I didn't have that degree. I didn't have the experience as a PM yet anywhere. Um, I ended up choosing to leave Google. And then I went and, and led product for a seed stage marketplace startup in the transportation realm and kind of validated for myself that that was a good fit. And I did like product, which is a question I needed to answer for myself about the fit. But because that worked out, I sort of started to get this chip on my shoulder of why was it so hard to find that fit inside Google? And, and what was that asymmetry in our understanding and our information for me and my manager and the organization of Google that kept me from having that great experience you know, in a role that Google also has many, many uh, product managers, a lot of availability. And there's just like an inefficiency in that matching system, kind of, in the understanding and the matching. So it became basically my obsession. I ended up starting my own company focused on trying to understand people's skills and capabilities at work and support them through management that's relevant to developing those and finding the right context for people to be successful. And through through the years, I've done that kind of work through a few different lenses that that original company got acquired by a company called Bravely, which provides coaching to employees inside organizations at every level. Also very peoply data intensive and also very focused on how do you create that context where people can be successful and recognize what the right fit is for them. And then now at the Muse, I'm doing that at the biggest sort of change point in people's careers when they change jobs, when you can really, really improve the quality of the fit and match for somebody to do their best work. When you get into a new role, it's a big it's a big opportunity to level up how well matched you are to the work that you get to do in the organization that you're in. So I've been noodling on that on that problem in the workforce for I think the better part of ten years now, and and have gotten closer and closer I think to where mechanically I can make the most impact on it. Now that I'm working at the Muse this point of hire moment for people. That's really interesting. Could you share with our audience, uh, what exactly does the Muse do and what's your your role there? Sure. 
We are a website with a wealth of career advice. We have a, a robust editorial team who try and make navigating your career more accessible and understandable to a wide audience. And then we have a job search marketplace where job seekers can find roles and companies and apply to them. And one of the things that's unique about it is the Muse has always had a really heavy focus on getting the right information about the phrase that I'm always saying day to day at work is what it's really like to work in a given company. And that varies so, so widely company to company. And that is something the Muse has been working on for, I think it's 11 years now. How do you storytell about that? How do you answer that question? What's it really like? Who who needs to tell that story? What are the how do you structure that information and make it searchable and discoverable and navigable? And the Muse does that with uh, written storytelling and company profiles and video storytelling and employees telling their own stories of their experiences. And also with a lot of structured data that allows a job seeker to say, these are the four characteristics about that that are important for me. Show me those companies. Let me search by that and find the roles that are going to be a fit based on that. So that's the lens I'm taking at the Muse on that on that problem space now. That's really cool. I mean, that's it is this kind of the secret, right? Is trying to figure out what it is really like versus what the website says, what we think of a company on the surface. And but that's tricky, right? Because there's when you look under the cover in lots of organizations, maybe isn't so great. <laughs> Right. And so how do you like balance that transparency with still trying to attract talent? I think that's a probably a tricky, you want to be honest, right? You want to have level of honesty so that people trust the muse, I would imagine. So that's, that's a really, that's a really interesting thing you're, you're doing. I'm, I'm curious about like what you are trying to focus on in, in terms of making work better. Like what, what is, what would you say is sort of, you're trying to match people better to to certain kinds of jobs, it sounds like. But tell me more about kind of what the Muse is is really trying to achieve and what's different about it. One of the one of the big themes that I think shows up here is because I'm focused very much on the moment when someone is changing jobs, because that's the Muse is helping people get hired into that next right role. On the job side, on the on the marketplace side of the business, uh there, there is a pretty serious information asymmetry for job seekers and companies right now. And it's pretty tough as a job seeker to answer your important questions for you about what it's like to work at a company. And companies do a ton to try and do uh, communications about this, employer branding activities, careers pages. You can watch the leadership of a company speak. Maybe they're like on YouTube talking about something and you can get a read off of that. But it's it's still a pretty challenging question, set of questions to navigate what it's like to work at a company. What's the culture of that company? It's still pretty tough to articulate. I, I think it's still relatively uncommon for people to have fabulous diction about this. There's not a totally widely accepted set of variables that we know it's a this or it's a that way of working. These are the different kinds of cultures that exist. Yep. So there's a, there's an abstraction in the taxonomy still. Yes. I think it takes a lot of expertise even to start to broach that in conversation. And I think uh, we're trying to focus on how do you equip people with the language to self-reflect and identify what's going to be the right fit for them that I think make makes work a lot better when you can figure out those dynamics that suit your personality, your phase of career, what motivates you and your capabilities. 
And I think that's tough for a job seeker. And it's really tough even for experts in employer branding and communicating this stuff about a company. That's still a hard challenge to do. What's the right medium to communicate it? What's the right language? Uh, And if we can achieve those things successfully, I think you're going to have a lot more, a a larger proportion of hires that happen are going to result in someone who is happy and satisfied and engaged and can do their best work on a day-to-day basis and, and enjoy it. Just one follow up on that. So the the taxonomy thing that you brought up, I love. So I'm, I'm working on a book right now about organizational culture. And that is one of the chapters I was just working on is that's what's so hard about culture. We know it's so important, but it continues to hold us back that we can't really understand this really complex construct, right? And so are you trying to get specific for in some ways about specific aspects of the culture to try to be able to use language and have words knowing that it's probably not 100% complete or like how how are you tackling that really hard problem the short answer is tactically with a thousand tiny changes to communicate a little bit more each time and 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 the long answer which I'll also give definitely definitely not from the level of trying to design that taxonomy yeah. because that's so hard like yeah. I'll leave it to you the expert I can't wait to read your credit on some of these questions <laughs> I don't know <laughs> but I think I think the thing that I like to think about is what is going to make that easier more accessible more navigable for a job seeker, like in a couple of months, what can I ship? What can we deliver this year, this quarter with some immediacy that's going to make a difference in the outcomes in the short term. And uh, the, the place where that tends to end up is we should make storytelling true and more discoverable, easier to find, which partially is like, what kind of metadata do you have on a video that feels very revealing and honest so that someone can go find the right video to watch? Employee videos of employees talking about their jobs and their teams are unbelievably powerful. And the reason is there is a tremendous amount of signal in a video of someone who's like in your same role or function talking about what it's like. And you're getting a lot of that implicitly, intuitively, because that's how people retain information socially. It's a very social cue. Um, So sometimes we're trying to do a better job of little pieces of labeling and making discoverable and searchable. Some of that really intuitive type of communication that feels rich, but we can't necessarily articulate exactly what are the four ways a company can be in that chunk of the taxonomy. We might not have that answer, but we can say this type of video seems to answer that question. And we're not exactly sure why yet, but let's get those in front of people. And then I think there's another piece, which is um, what are currently accepted proxies for really important stuff that are not really the right data about it, but are a pretty good hack to start answering your question. One of these, my personal pet favorite of these is parental leave. How does a company talk about their parental leave policies and, and what actually do they provide for parents in different situations? It's it's very revealing of a culture. It's a great proxy, but you're really just talking about a single benefit. People right. use parental leave as a search variable, in my opinion, much more than they are personally considering taking advantage of that parental Fascinating. leave. People who are not going to become parents. <laughs> That's really cool. That's a great example. I love this level of detail, especially the hack for parental leave. I mean, I have a dog, so I'm a parent in my definition. So maybe I'll start Googling for that. Yeah. As you know, our, our, our podcast is, is 
deeply focused on positive psychology. And I'm curious how, how your work intersects with positive psychology. I've been reflecting on this a little bit, and I, I don't have the expertise in positive psychology to feel really proud and confident in answering that. But one of the thematic areas that I'll just kind of gesture at, and then maybe you can help me enrich my thoughts about it, is this one of my least favorite phrases in the realm of talent management and hiring is best people. Oh, yeah. That phrase bums me out so bad. There, there really is no best people. And it's such a negative perspective to think yeah. that there are. I, I always like to say best fit. It's best fit whatever. Best fit people, best fit role. Mm-hmm. And it's because I really genuinely believe that best when it comes to work is about finding the right context for somebody to shine. Yes. And there is a best place for somebody to have the best experience they can at work, produce their best work that's beneficial to the company or organization for which they're working. And I think one of the reasons that best people is so common and best fit people is not is it's a much more challenging, a humongous marketplace systemic matching challenge. That's a a much stickier, scarier problem than just finding the one best out of a hundred or a million. It's a, it's a, there's a lot more complexity to that science. And so I think we resist it a little bit naturally, but it's a more positive take on what's possible. You know where I, I see you actually intersecting with positive psychology. I, I think you're actually on a bullseye with it, especially when you talk about best fit, that we spend practically half of our waking lives at work and that adds up. It's part of your life experience. And if you don't fit in an organization then your life can be a misery. And for example, I work at two at two colleges. So Harvard's great, but that was the only place I ever knew. And when I went to work at another institution, everything was great except the students are actively disengaged and it has made the entire experience hell. And like I can't work there anymore. And it never occurred to me, I need engaged students for me to turn on. And that was never in the job description. No one ever told me about this. I think the work that you're doing is really important that if you were advertising, let's say, a a college instructor job that you could get into, what are the students like? What's the, the culture like? What's it like to work there? And just letting people know this is the way it is. Does that fit for you? So I I think you do a lot with positive psychology. <laughs> me too. I think all the time about my sister is a lawyer. We have really different ways of navigating the world, she and I, and our personalities and just sort of like how we see things get along very well. But I think we just like see things very differently. She's a great lawyer. She loves her work. I can see that I would be miserable in her job and so ineffectual because it is so clearly the wrong context for me. And I can see it because I know her very well and I see her in that context. And it is everything that is a difference between us that makes her fantastic at that job. And that kind of thing, I think, is particularly tough to figure out for people who are newer in their careers. There's so much ambiguity in that, and it's hard to name what motivates you and what's the right fit for you. But I think that aspect of discovering who you can be and how good your life can be is a, is partially a journey of answering those questions and getting the right information to start answering them for yourself so that you can identify, like, where is my happiness opportunity here? What could it be? I love it. What advice would you have for managers or leaders around this happiness opportunity, (laughs) right? I mean, 
would you say to managers and leaders to, to move this forward? We've hit on this from a couple of different angles already, and I don't want to be too redundant, but like I think that there is a huge payoff to improving your diction in these squishy parts of how we do the work here. It, and if you can communicate that in the way you talk to your team, in the way you set expectations and define success for, for the people you're working with day to day, or when you're hiring, if you can communicate that about how your team operates and who we would want, if someone joins, how we want that person who joins to operate and what to expect in our personal stuff. I also don't love the phrase soft skills, but some of it is described as soft skills often. Um, I end up saying squishy stuff all the time, which is the term squishy is kind of my replacement. It's not a very good replacement for soft skills. I haven't found my good term. But I think think that as an area of study and an area of innovation and discovery, I think for the whole workforce, there's an industry trying to learn about and articulate this as we've discussed right now. But diving into that a bit and trying to get good at naming things, naming dynamics or ways of working that underlie the skills and capabilities or the outputs of the work that might be more specific to your industry or to your business goals and so forth is is a, a superpower for for managers and leaders to do. And one my my single word that I would say I try to come back to the most sort of as my ground word is clarity. Yes. And being able to name and articulate something helps you on that path to clarity, which breeds confidence and happiness and and decision-making that works for people. So I think diction on this in pursuit of clarity is, is the thing that I think is so powerful for people to be trying to achieve. You've probably heard that Brene Brown quote of clarity is kindness. I don't know if you've seen that, but she's got a clarity is you that is it's such a good one. Clarity is kindness. Lack of clarity is unkindness. And I I love that. I think that you're you're spot on. That's what we need more in organizations, right? Is that clarity. People should really want to be as transparent and clear as possible because it's so much time and effort to bring someone into an organization, train them, get them in there, and then replace them. And you're going to find out anyhow what it's like to be there. You may as well be up front. It's, it's a bit like a marriage. Like, do you, do you roll the toothpaste? Do you squeeze it? Do you jack It's funny that you've mentioned marriage because as you were starting to say that, the thing that I was thinking about was actually in marital disagreements. Sometimes you, I, was, I was thinking about marriage, even as you said that. There's that moment often when you're disagreeing and you know each other really well if you're a married couple, usually. And there's usually a moment in a disagreement where you're like, oh, that's what's underlying this disagreement. It's not the thing where it started. We've now figured out what we're really talking about here. And I think often that revelatory moment switches the tone from negative to positive because the problem was the ambiguity and the confusion more than it was disagreement on the content. In, and I think that's true in so many interpersonal scenarios and certainly at work. Often the kindness of clarifying an expectation or why something was not working well is like bare celebration for everyone. Even if someone missed that expectation, it's like, oh, usually it's because we had some confusion or miscommunications to a definition of success that didn't include that stuff explicitly yet that was stopping us. Very interesting. You're going to love this next question because I I already said I love that sculpture that's in your background. What are you working on personally? <laughs> I I I do deal antiques. 
on the side, there is actually something big cooking on the antiques front. I, I moved to Charleston, South Carolina from New York a couple of years ago during the pandemic. And I have finally found a store space for my antiques here in Charleston. Very informal. It's not going to be like a seven day a week store. It's going to be more like I, I work at my desk in my office. I work from home. I'll work here all day. And then in the evening, I might go throw open the store door and hang out in there and see who walks by. And it brings me joy to be around the antiques and chat with people about them. But personally, in the sense that it is the most differentiated from from my work by day in this space, um, opening up that antique space here in town is is what's cooking. That's awesome. That's really cool. So any words you can leave our audience with today? It's been such a pleasure talking with you. There's so many cool things that you're doing and just wondering how you might kind of leave some of your wisdom with everybody. Uh, I'll come back to that clarity theme. And now I have to go tonight and watch a bunch of Brene Brown. I feel so remiss in my lack of awareness of that. But on that clarity theme, I think something that I try to think about all the time and I find myself saying all the time is if you don't feel that clarity to be bold and go get it, figure out what's in between you and that. And I think often it's, I think, pretty natural to react to a lack of clarity with avoidance or fear and not look at it too closely because it seems like something you're missing or uh, a place of lacking in your, in your knowledge or your capability. And I think going against that instinct and trying to stare right down into that ambiguity, very quickly, you can start to pick out little chunks of that dynamic, kind of in the same way we're trying to solve for this big challenge at the muse by picking at the dynamic and the discoverability for job seekers, like month by month, year by year, seeking that clarity with with boldness. And, and whenever you feel it, running at it a little bit and seeing what you can figure out, can I get, can I get one third clearer on this little piece of it, or can I name one thing I don't know about it is, is a powerful skill. And I think helps people feel confident into some of the scariest ambiguities of career. Yes. Oh, that's such good advice. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We've just enjoyed it so much and just really appreciate your, appreciate your time. Thank you, Sally. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. What a pleasure. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.